It's so nice to see your face. How are you? You put on makeup for me. I'm about to go out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Mums Group. This is a podcast for mums navigating the joyful complexities of motherhood from a Christian worldview. My name is Ali Barnes. I'm married to Sean and we have two boys, Banjo and Zach, and I work at a Christian radio station in Sydney called Hope 1032. Most listeners of Mums Group attend church. As mums to little ones, we try and make it every week. And some weeks we have capacity to serve. Some weeks we manage a meaningful conversation. And some weeks we even hear the full sermon. It's amazing. But when you've got young kiddos, you inevitably hold your commitment on Sundays and midweek gatherings a little looser. It's not that you're exempt, but your priorities and focus shift for a season. But what happens if you're in full-time ministry with little ones and the congregation is relying on you? Today's conversation is with my friend Emma Marlings, who I met at Hope 1032. We're chatting over Zoom because Em currently lives in Florida. I'm not going to tell you all about this incredible unicorn in the intro. I'll let her share her story in a moment. But the reason I wanted to have this conversation is the other day I was looking at my pastor's wife with three kids hanging off her, asking her to do a thousand different things at the same time. And I was wondering, what's it like for women in church leadership who have the same amount of nappies to change as I, toddler tantrums to diffuse, difficult bedtime routines that make small groups difficult to attend, etc., etc. I want to know the challenges and, of course, the joys of full-time ministry and motherhood to better understand and support the mums in leadership in our local churches. So I'm sure you'll find this conversation helpful and insightful. Emma, let's start with the formalities. If you go to Wikipedia... It currently says Emma Mullings is oh an Oh my Aust- God. <laughs> yes, it says she is an Australian television presenter, radio announcer, singer, actor, writer, and producer. She is currently mornings presenter on Hope 103.2 in Sydney from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. weekdays. Now, firstly, congratulations on having a Wikipedia page, but <laughs> let's correct Who a few. Who writes Wikipedia? Because someone needs to update that. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because I'm pretty sure Katrina Rowe is hosting mornings on Hope as we record this. So let's reset. Tell me about yourself, your family, and what you are actually up to these days. That's hilarious. You know, sorry, I have to jump in, Ali, and just, ad i just wrote a song that talked about all the lies on wikipedia (laughs) like there's actually a line in the song that says all the noise in the media all the lies on wikipedia (laughs) that's hilarious ladies and gentlemen exhibit a (laughs) exhibit a that stuff all has been true though but it is outdated very much because yes i currently live in florida south florida just outside of miami and um we have just planted a church called history makers church and who's we oh sorry that would help wouldn't it um me and my (laughs) me and my husband terrence and we moved here in 2019 uh with four small children um and our youngest was seven months old wow and what's the age of your kiddos now so right now, our oldest is 11, and then so that's Hosanna. She's 11. Jeremiah is 10. And then we had a big gap because we thought we were done. And then, surprise, we have Israel, who is three, and Kingston, who is now two. And they're the cutest kids. If, uh, <laughs> if you don't follow Emma, you got to. She has gorgeous, gorgeous family. But 
Let's rewind the clock, okay? You grew up in Ipswich in Queensland, Australia, for those who don't know, uh, where your parents planted a church and they both preached. Your mum was the worship leader too and even released a few worship albums. So you were a pastor's kid. What was that like? (laughs) Well, Ali, how long have you got? Um, (laughs) Look, my, um, I'll try and give you a quick rundown, a quick version. It wasn't great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Look, it wasn't great, but I think probably not for the reasons that other, you know, not for the cliche reasons um, that I hear some pastor's kids talk about. My experience was pretty um, unique in that my my older sister passed away when she was two. And she was born with like a, you know, severely brain damaged um, because of actually, actually it was a doctor's mistake during her birth. But keeping in mind, my older sister was born in Grafton. It's a real country and it was the seventies. Okay. (laughs) So simple, simple thing that would never happen today. Um, But, you know, as a young kid, you kind of understand what happened and you hear the stories, you know, mum and dad, they prayed over her body for three days, believing God would bring her back. Um, then they had my older brother, they had me, and then they had my little sister, Melanie, who's um, severely brain damaged, but a different kind of brain damage to my older sister, Andrea. Um, they actually don't know what happened. They think maybe the umbilical cord got caught around her neck in the womb. They don't know. She wasn't wasn't around her neck when they brought her out, but at some point she you know, lost oxygen at some point. So um, Melanie wasn't meant to live past 10 days, but she's now 37. Wow. She can't walk talk she's you know fed pureed food adult diapers she's basically like a nine-month-old baby um and my dad and my stepmom look after her full-time I say my stepmom because when my mom was 37 and I was four Melanie was two my older brother was eight we found out that she had lower intestinal cancer so from from the day we found out what it was to the day that she died it was 12 weeks um because she just didn't have many symptoms she was she was tired but you know what woman with three little kids one severely brain damaged and requires round the clock care like what woman is not tired um let's be honest so yeah so that was kind of um I I think from a very young age I had a lot of questions about God and I knew God was real and that's actually what made me so angry because I knew God was real and I'd experienced the presence of God I it was a spirit-filled church. I'd seen miracles from a very young age, and yet I was like, "Well, why, why, why you do it for everyone else, God, and you don't do it for us?" Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and then growing up, just to add another layer to that kind of confusion when it came to the things of God, um, I was often babysat by a family in our church, and the teenage son would sexually abuse me when I would be babysat, and. So growing up, I, I was, was very conflicted. I, I always knew God was real, mm-hmm. always. Um, but I was, really, I was really angry at him. So when I say I think my experience was a little different to others, it wasn't really the, you know, you, I, you know I've spoken to a lot of pastors' kids about the pressure that they feel and this and that. I actually felt invisible um, and I was super angry. And I... I I pissed out of there when I was 14 and nine months. Any The Aussies in Queensland will know, in Queensland, you, ha- you have to be 14 and nine months to get a job. It's I don't know why. It's kind of weird. But yeah. anyway, I got a job at McDonald's. 
and I told them that I, I can only work Sundays. And then I told my dad, hey, I got a job, but they've only got Sundays. And by then, we were a very low-income family. It was a small church. And, um, and yeah, I'd actually been caught shoplifting multiple times at that point. So I, I think they were just happy that they didn't fight it, put it that way. Um, if they did, I can't remember. Maybe I've just blocked that out of my memories. But anyway, I um, successfully made my exit. So you're angry at God, obviously. You're confused by the amount of suffering that you've experienced. Mm. But you find yourself at 23 in Sydney and God reveals himself to you in another way. Yeah, so by that point, I'd ended up in Sydney. Um, study. I, I'd gone down to study music. A whole lot of stuff had happened. I'd you know, been in a relationship in high school and had my heart broken, stayed in the relationship. I had no sense of self-worth or and, and no relationship with Jesus at all. Um, no sense of identity, like who I am and whose I am. Mm. <laughs> and um, yeah, just stayed in a really horrible relationship. There was another girl pregnant with my boyfriend's baby that kind of just oh. paints a picture for you. Yeah, I've you know I worked in TV, Ali, but uh, not reality TV. I've just I've already lived through my own episode of Jerry Springer. <laughs> I'd ended up in Sydney at that point. I had gotten involved in all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, I was studying. I had a, a, some really good music opportunities. Uh, I'd gone on this TV show in Australia called Pop Stars. Did and, you? Yeah, I did not know that part of your story. That didn't make it to the Wikipedia page. No, we've had a lot of conversations about things, but not pop stars. That hasn't come up. You know why? Because I was so bad. (laughs) Like I made it to the final 10 and I don't know how. Like I could not sing. I had a try. I could sing on the inside, you know. Yeah. I was... But I'd, I'd never, you know, we, we were, as I mentioned before, we were a low-income family. I didn't grow up doing, you know, singing lessons and piano lessons. I did some in my teenage years, like when I had my own job. and But, yeah, I wasn't, listen, what I lacked in skill, I had in passion. And <laughs> <laughs> we all know what that means. So I add that in just to tell you kind of the world that I was in. So I, I had made it to the final 10 of pop stars. I, was, I had gotten a scholarship to study music in Sydney. So I was doing all this great music stuff. I had, uh, it was called a development deal. Basically they put you in with different producers and um, songwriting was my passion. And I will say I was good at that. Songwriting was my passion and we'd we'd recorded a whole bunch of songs and and things were going well over here, but I kind of just had this double life going on because I couldn't pay my bills and I'd gotten involved in all kinds of dodgy work, earning dodgy cash to pay bills. And um, anyone who, just so you know, mums, just some forewarning, anyone who has uh, a dodgy job in a dodgy place, they always have a cover job, just in case you didn't know that's how it works. So I had a cover job, ironically, at a radio station, not 103.2. I was in at no point, I had any relationship with Jesus. Um, but a station in Sydney called Today FM, some of you will know it. So this has been the early 2000s. And, um, and yeah, we were driving, you know, we drive around, give out the free CDs. Oh, yeah, um, the the Red Bull and the V. Yes. What were they called? Black Thunder? Was that? Black Thunder. They were called Black Thunders. And, um, yeah, so we would, that was my job, like my job three days a week. And one day there was um, a new guy on and they're like, hey, Emma, you know, can you just show him around? And I was not the person I am today, Ali. Like I was very dark, very angry. Honestly, if you even, if you hear the songs, 
the songs are good, but they're all about death and dying and anger and like Alanis Morissette ain't got nothing on these lyrics. Let me tell you. <laughs> I was such I was such a dark person. Honestly, I don't even I honestly don't even recognize myself. No. Yeah, so I had to take this guy around for the day and he was like all sunshine and rainbows and like hallelujah. Like, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy just irritated me. And um and at this point, just to paint a little picture, I was now <laughs> I was wild. I don't know how else to say it. I was not, I, I've never had, I never had a fear of death, which is a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. you will try everything <laughs> once or twice or maybe three times if it was good. Um, and to be honest, um, my, from a very young age, I always had thoughts of death and dying because I just wanted to be with my mom again. And in the mind of a child, like it wasn't, it was very normal to me because I'm like, I just can't wait to die. I can't wait to be with my mom. Like that was where I associated peace and joy and feeling like someone cared and and so I would play with all kinds of substances every weekend and some weekends I think well maybe I might die tonight but I didn't I didn't even mind because it's like well then I'll get to see my mum again so that's kind of where I, I was at at the same time I did have a lot of cool stuff happening with music stuff in Sydney and the independent music scene but I had such a messy messy you know Headspace. messy life mm. um Anyway, so this guy was like extremely kind and stable, uh, <laughs> nothing like me. And we're driving around and he turns the radio off and he puts on Hillsong Worship. Oh, shout <laughs> to the Lord. And like, yeah. I I remember shout to the Lord playing. And I was like, I was so, oh, it just triggered me. I was, oh. I had very colourful vocabulary. Oh, very right. colourful. And I told him where I was about to put that CD if he continued to play it. And he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, do you know what this is? This is worship music. And I was like, yes, I know what it is. Actually, my mum was a worship recording artist and her name was Susie Wilson. She released six albums in Australia and he's been in church his whole life. He knew who she was and he's like, what? Wow. <laughs> and he's like, hang on, your parents are pastors? I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And we just, you know, we had a good conversation. He was obviously a little surprised. Um, <laughs> and <Doesn't> match up, <laughs> put it lightly. He started, uh, and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say on a mission to get me back to church because it was really, he just was on a mission to get me back into a relationship with Jesus because he had a genuine relationship with God. And he was like, what has happened to this girl um, to make her so angry at God? Because yeah. I think for him, he was always having conversations with people about, you know, trying to convince them God was real. And I was like, you know, I know he's real. Right. <laughs> I'm just, I'm mad. But we got along really good as friends. Then he kept inviting me to church. And, you know, I had two phones then. Remember, I had two lives, two jobs, two phones, two numbers. Two, and so he kept, he would invite me to church every Sunday and I, he would call, he would text, he would offer to pick me up. And I would ignore him most of the time. Sometimes I'd say, yeah, I'll meet you there with like no intention to go. <laughs> And I remember one morning waking up and church, the church service he was inviting me to was at midday at 12. Right. And I remember right. waking up at 11 after a massive night out and seeing that familiar text. And I don't know what it was. Like in hindsight, it was the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> that morning I was like, you know what? I'll just go check it out. Whatever. I'm just going to go. I went by myself. Ali, I wore the shortest little white mini skirt because I'm like, yes, let's let me see if there's a spirit of religion in this place. I'll give them, I'll give them something to talk about. 
So <laughs> like I had such an attitude. Honestly, I'm, I feel sorry for my pastors. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> I went along and um, I was a real conflict within myself because the presence of God was in that place, but I was angry and I was, it was just such a wrestle within myself, but I kept going back a few weeks in a row. And then, but you know, they'd give that, that ask that question at the end of the service, you know, who wants to give their life to Jesus. And yeah. you feel like every eye in the room is kind of looking at you. And I was like, hell no, yeah, not me. Been there, done that. Didn't work out. So, didn't work out for me. Um, and then they were talking about, and they had this ex-mafia boss from America coming to speak. I honestly remember thinking, finally, someone I can relate to. Finally, someone with some life experience. <laughs> and um, I know, I know. And I, I went along to that service again on my own. And um, you know what? I actually just had to hear his story to even comprehend that God could restore everything. Like he, he really could restore everything, not just the stuff that um, had happened to me, but the stuff that I had done, like God could restore it all. And at the end of that service, and they gave that, that opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, I ran down the front. Like I was all in. I became very aware in, that, in, the, in a moment how incredibly broken I was and that God could fix it. And I remember just standing on that altar with my hands lifted to heaven. And I remember saying as clear as day, God, whatever you want me to do. I said, if you can heal me, if you can fix me, whatever you want me to do for the rest of my life, I'll do it. And I remember um, them talking about at this particular church, they had a Bible college. And that night they were talking about, you know, this was April, 2004. So I was actually 22. And they were talking about their Bible college. And, um, you know, I didn't really know anything about Bible college. I knew that my dad had been to Bible college, but I could not shake the thought of Bible college. And it seemed stupid, crazy at the time. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm just trying not to swear. Like I'm just <laughs> at the very beginning of this journey. Um, and I, in the weeks that passed, like I went through a radical transformation in within weeks, I got a new job. I moved out of the house I was living in. I put some really strong boundaries in with the people I was hanging out with. And not everyone obviously has to do that, but I personally did. And I was about to ironically come to America for three months. We were going to record a single here with Sony, which was a huge opportunity. You know, I was, had been working with a team. It was, a, it was massive for me. And I could not shake the feeling that God was telling me to go to Bible college. And it sounded crazy and it was crazy. But anyway, that was April, 2004. I threw in the contract. They all thought I was part of a cult and I'd been brainwashed. And I started Bible college. I just turned 23 in the June, July intake of 2004, three months later. And honestly, it was the wildest, um, best decision I ever made. And not everyone obviously has to do that. But I was super high needs. <laughs> like I was, I was messed up. I needed to be under teaching of the word every, every day. I needed to be in worship every day. I needed to be around people that loved Jesus every day. And my goodness, I needed the free counseling that they gave the students. <laughs> I, well, I was going to ask, obviously you felt like God could forgive you, but did you feel like you forgave God in terms of the suffering, in terms of your mom's passing, your sister's? How did you yeah. start to navigate that and process that? So during 
the counseling. So basically at the Bible college, they offered counseling for the students. And I was, <laughs> I was there for a solid year every week. <laughs> and God, <laughs> God honestly did a huge restoration process in me. There's two scriptures that come to mind when you say that. And I should have been more prepared and had the actual scripture references in front of me. That's right. I think it's Isaiah. It says, um, I'm going to find the actual scripture for you, Ali. Yeah. Give me one. Please. All right. So Isaiah 55, 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And it's like, okay, his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. If it was my way, he would have just healed my mom. So you just had to trust him with that. Yeah, and, and, and that scripture coupled with a revelation that I felt like God dropped to me one night in worship. And you know how the Bible talks about peace that surpasses understanding? Because mm. I, I needed peace. Mm. I needed hope and I needed peace. And God really spoke to me one night and he said, in order to get that peace that surpasses understanding that the Bible talks about, that you keep reading about and you keep asking me for, <laughs> You actually need to give up your right to understand. Wow. Because it's peace that surpasses understanding. You need to give up your right to understand and just choose to trust. And I was like, because I was looking for answers. And I'm like, if I can understand why this happened, if I can understand why mom died, maybe it's the way that we prayed or we didn't pray. Maybe we weren't declaring enough or taking authority enough. Or maybe we were actually just meant to, to not declare it and claim it. Maybe we were actually just meant to just ask or maybe maybe dad was just asking too nicely because my dad's so polite I'm like maybe maybe he needed to be like declaring like and I would I even bought these books on how to pray for healing I was just trying to understand why he didn't heal her yeah I just wanted to understand and he said to me so clearly peace that surpasses understanding it surpasses understanding it transcends understanding that you need to give up your right to understand and choose to trust me even though you don't know all the answers and i think i think those two scriptures coupled together just in the the, that you know early stage of um healing and you know the bible talks about the renewing of your mind like it's a process i think god heals in moments and he heals in process Mm. um so there are some moments when because there were a lot of layers there are a lot of things that i'd been through and i remember just you know responding on altar calls and god would just you just take away another layer and I'd feel such immense healing in certain areas or I'd have revelation in certain areas. In other areas, I just had to walk through it, one foot in front of the other, processing it with a great godly counsellor, going to the Bible continuously. You know, I love, my husband always says his voice is found in a verse and just asking God, speak to me, just speak to me. I mean, for me, I am a worshipper at heart. So I found so much healing in just being in the presence of God in worship. I mean, for me, like God speaks to me in worship. He heals me in worship. I just, it's just me and him. And, um, and yeah, sorry, I don't know why I digress to that. But anyway, if anyone's listening, you need to go put some worship music on after this (laughs) and just lay there and just let it wash over you. Uh, Well, um, we could just finish this recording right now because that's an incredible takeaway. Um, Yeah, just. To find that peace, sometimes you need to give up the understanding and the answers. But let's not finish there because (laughs) this is a motherhood podcast. And so I want to fast forward the story. You end up going to Bible college, working, marrying, 
that guy who you met in the Black Thunder? That guy! <laughs> that guy Terrence? That guy! Can you believe and That you... poor man, pray for him. <laughs> and you have gorgeous, gorgeous children. Now, they say how you were mothered impacts how you mother. Mm. And I remember mum and I becoming even closer when I had kids because I just started to appreciate her in a whole new light. But what was it like for you becoming a mum, having lost your mum at such a young age and being such a young mum yourself? Yeah, I. it was incredibly difficult. Um, I was looking for a lot of answers and I was looking for them in my stepmom. But I, because I did not have, and I do have a great relationship with my stepmom, but it's never been the close, close relationship that I've seen my friends have with their mums. Mm. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, how old were you when she came into your life? I was very young. Her and my dad married when I was around six years old. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I call her mum. It's, it's, and she's a wonderful lady. So when she, just to paint a picture, she, when she married my dad, she was 22 and he had three kids, one severely brain damaged and there's a 15 year age gap. So I think, I think my mum did a phenomenal job, but yeah, I didn't, I had a, I had some really good friends and I had Jesus, but it was super hard. It was, it was super hard. So over the next few years, you established an incredible media career, TV presenting, radio presenting, singing, and I'm not just saying singing on Sundays, like you've released songs where I'll be walking through Coles, picking bananas, stop and be like, hey, that's my friend, Emma Mullings on the radio. Like- I did get singing lessons, guys. I did get better. <laughs> I, I was really bad back then, though, like when I was 20. Just so you know, I stand by that. Yeah, if there was a season I of am, pop stars I'm now. now. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> You'd kill it. But Em, you were living your dream, but then God gives Terrence a different dream. Tell us about that. Why plant a church in Miami? <laughs> So Terrence, my dear husband, he went on a 40-day fast (laughs) to really seek God for the next season. We were deliberating whether to have a third baby. At that time, we had two, and we'd had almost a seven-year gap. I was doing quite well then in my career, and and, um, it it was a big deal to, like, pull away from that and have a third baby. And also, you know, my dad was... looking at retiring and had asked us if we would take over the church, which would mean an interstate move. Yeah. We had some other great opportunities presented to us within our own church with campuses and things like that. And um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's good opportunities and there's God opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> so he just really wanted to hear from God and he came back after 40 days. He didn't go away. Sorry. Like he just came to me after 40 days. He, he ain't leaving me for 40 days with two kids. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he came and he said, um, I think God's telling us to plant a church in Miami. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I think you heard wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, Miami on the Gold Coast? <laughs> He's like, I knew, I knew it wasn't Miami on the Gold Coast. He's like, no, because Terrence was born in, Terrence was born in Brisbane. He then moved to Jamaica then moved to Miami. He lived in Miami for two years. And then when he was nine years old, they moved back to Australia. And he's been had been living in Australia ever since. So he's full Aussie to anyone who meets him. You know, he's got big Aussie accent. Um, but I knew that he had left part of his heart in Miami. He felt, he just felt a pull 
and he he literally had from this 40-day fast he had a blueprint for the next 40 years for this church this is what it's going to look like this is the why these are the people these are the communities this is you know and yeah because tell me about the why like is was Miami in need of more churches or so Miami is one of the biggest cities in America for sex trafficking because it's a gateway city into the US. So people come in from South America, from all different countries to try and find a better life, a better way of, of living. And they get caught up in all kinds of things. It's got one of the highest divorce rates in the US, 50% divorce rate, 200 kids go into foster care each month. Um, it's a city of extremes. So they have the extreme, extreme wealth, and yet they have such high levels of poverty okay. and um, vast levels of people living below the poverty line. You know, there's a lot of gun violence. But I guess the main the main stat, if you're going to look at stats when it comes to the South Florida area, is that 93% of people have no relationship with Jesus. Okay. So a lot of people coming from um, South America. So there's a lot of people that, you know, I've gone to church as in a, um, a Catholic church, that's probably their context. No relationship, no life change. Okay. No. Okay. It's um, just kind of cultural. Yeah, when, when they were a kid. So So was it learning um, things like that that convinced you, okay, there's a need or how did God sort of stop in your heart? That still didn't convince me, Ali. Okay. Still, I'm like, ah, listen, I just got my dream job TV presenting in Australia right. and I've got a radio show and like – and I'm being asked to speak all around the country at different churches and women's events. I'm like, I'm not, are you crazy? Like, yeah. <laughs> so basically I said, listen, I, I can, I can hear that you have heard from God, but I need to hear from God myself. Mm. And I said, I need to put my feet on the ground because I had traveled a lot, but I had never been to Miami, never been to South Florida. And I said, I need to put my feet on the ground and see, see it for myself. Cause there's a, you know, you can, you can read the stats, you can look at pictures, you can watch documentaries, but there's nothing like experiencing it. Um, so we came with our two little kids in 2015, 2015. And we spent a month in America and um, we'd been in, a, we, so my, my prayer, even as we were flying in, cause we went up to, we went up to Bethel church in Reading first. <laughs> cause oh. I was like, Listen, I, if we're going to America, I'm going straight to Bethel to be in that worship. Absolutely. <laughs> they are the soundtrack to my motherhood experience. <laughs> Always on in the background. So, yes, same, same. So um, even as we were flying into Miami, I, into Miami airport, I, my prayer was, God, give me your heart for this city. Let me see what you need me to see and let me carry the weight that you have for the people of this city. And even as we were flying into this city, I just felt such a heaviness. And I went for a walk on the beach and I said to God so clearly, I said, God, I feel like I'm in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not bringing my kids here. Oh, like yeah. I was blunt and God spoke back to me straight away. And he said, you are in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's why I need my people here. Oh. And I knew from, I knew, I knew, I just knew. I heard him so loud, so clear. And um, I just thought that's the whole point, the whole point. Like I'm seeing all this stuff and this need and this like spirit of lust and like, you know, this, the stats that I mentioned, you can see it everywhere. Wow. Just the brokenness and the anger and the frustration. And, and um, 
And it's like, that's the whole point. That's why, that's why <laughs> it's, it's, it just shifted my perspective completely. It's like, yeah. you know, that's, that's why he needs more life-giving churches here. So I knew from then on, but out, I mean, outworking itself, it took, I mean, that was 2015, you know, we didn't move till 2019 and had two more kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause uh, let's talk about that. Cause we said farewell to you at work. <laughs> you were about to head to Miami and then you didn't. Yeah, I was like John Farnham. Like, I just never left. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the comeback tour and then it was the comeback tour again. Hey, and I loved each tour. They were amazing. (laughs) But uh, tell us about the reasons behind that decision. Basically, we we decided to have the third baby. Her name was Israel Charlotte Hope. She's beautiful. She's three now. Um, So we decided to have Izzy. And then, so I was going to resign, have Izzy, move. So that was the plan. Had Izzy. I ended up going to work just casually because I just loved my job. Um, But, you know, we were still packing up, getting rid of stuff, giving away everything. We, yeah, we were funding all this ourselves. We got our visas, which are very expensive. And we were giving away our stuff. We'd moved at this point to a furnished place, like Mm -hmm. for our last, what was going to be our last four months in Sydney. And then we found out that I was pregnant and I was like, what? Are you crazy, Jesus? And so I just thought, well, we'll just have the baby in America because, you know, yeah. we both resigned. Like Terrence had resigned as well. We both had resigned. That was the plan. And I don't know if Australians really understand how good we have it in Australia. So America, like you have to have health insurance or you can't just rock up. Like you will get a bill for 80,000, 120,000. The main reason people declare bankruptcy in America is medical bills for basic things. Oh, that's tragic. So that's no tragic. one, and, and no one would even talk to me, no obstetrician over the phone. I'm like it's the middle of the night in Australia and I'm trying to call people, you know, hospitals and whatever, just to find out information. They won't even talk to you unless you have insurance that they accept. And then you can't get insurance because well, you're not here. You've got, where's your proof of residency? Like, and there's only a little window of two months of the year where you can buy it, you know, cause you get it through your job, but we don't have jobs in America. Mm. Like it just works so different. And then finally, the final straw was our um, immigration lawyer said, you know, on your visa at the moment, they're really cracking down on people to use the term dropping babies in America. So people would go over, have a baby in America so that the baby's a technically an American Uh citizen and then apply for permanent residency. And she's like, listen, you should go back to Australia and have the baby in Australia because you do want to go down that path long-term, but you want to do it the right way. And I'm like, this isn't like a scam. I'm legitimately pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So we basically had to make the decision to stay in Australia another year have our beautiful little Kingston in Australia. But we had quit our jobs and given away all our stuff. And <laughs> Ali, I'd given away all the baby stuff, all the new baby stuff. <gasps> I had no baby stuff. You're like, and, uh, hi, your kid is currently sleeping in my kid's cot. Can I have that back? <laughs> I, exactly. I didn't want to do that. So it was, it was tough. But in saying that, in that last year and having a baby, technically we're both jobless. We actually, and this is all God, we actually made more money in that last year than we had made in any previous years because we both did acting like random, you know, things of acting and TV presenting. 
And I don't know what it was, but that year, Australia decided to embrace diversity. And <laughs> and me and Terence, you know, Terence is born in Australia, but he's black. He's Jamaican by heritage. And we had done a lot of different acting roles, but we would always have like a fake husband. I'd have a fake white husband. He'd have a fake black wife. And that was just the year in Australia. Every ad, they wanted a family that was diverse and a real family with like <laughs> diverse kids. And it's, well, we had the real thing. So we got cast in so many ads and we ended up making more money in that year than I could have even dreamed. Like God just went over and above. And so we had Kingston and uh, yeah, we moved when Kingston was seven months old. Let's move on from church planting and talk about what it's like being a pastor and a mum. Because, I mean, well, I guess with COVID, your kids were probably home a lot more. You were probably homeschooling and trying to establish a church in the background, or or maybe that's in the foreground and the kids are in the background. How does it all work? Like, you know, it, it's pretty intense. We're still in that very intense pioneering season. And I keep telling myself it's not going to be this intense <laughs> um, forever. And people told us who have planted churches, they're like, the first six months is crazy. And we're like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's definitely crazy. So, okay. Well, I've seen a few videos on Facebook about Hosanna leading worship with you. Talk to me first about like how your kids are involved in the church. So we very much wanted this to be from the beginning. Like we are doing this together. We didn't want it to be like, oh, mom and dad are always just out doing the church and then we're left here. So as I mentioned, we have a big age gap. So Hosanna and Jeremiah are 10 and 11. Um, the babies, we call them the babies, so they're toddlers now. You know, they don't really know what's going on. Um, they probably don't even realize we're in another country. But <laughs> Hosanna and Jeremiah are very involved. And we ask them, just like everyone else, like, what, what are you passionate about? Like, where, where do you want to serve? Like, what do you love to do? We run this, this um, course called Destiny Steps for everyone who comes into church. And we, we, we give them all these um, gifting assessments. Like, how are you wired? What are your um, spiritual gifts? And like, what are your leadership gifts? And how do those work together? So Hosanna and Jeremiah did the same thing that everyone else did. Yeah. So they both serve in different areas and they mix it up. Like if they... You know, Jeremiah did parking and then he wants to try kids and then he wants to try worship. And yeah, so they're very involved and they we bring them everywhere with us. We don't take the babies with us because I wouldn't be able to get anything done. I was going to ask that because you have to constantly balance the needs of your congregation and your kids. And mm. I can just imagine the scenario. There's a woman who's pouring out her soul to you, asking for prayer, asking for guidance, and you're zeroed in on her. And then in comes Kingston who needs, you know, a, a nappy change or needs a snack or something. Like, yeah. how do you balance the needs of everyone? Yeah. So, so Izzy and Kingston, now Kingston particularly, who's only two, he's, he won't leave my side. So normally, if it's something that I'm very involved in, um, for example, Sunday just gone, I, I was the one preaching. So I had a I had a babysitter there with Kingston that brought him into the service and took him home and actually got him bathed and, and to bed um, just so I could be fully engaged. But the other kids were there because they aren't, you know, so Needy. clingy. Yeah, um, clingy. Let's just be honest. Yeah. I don't know how to say no, it. Totally. Um, it's not a bad thing. All, just all, all the moms get it. Yeah. Um, 
so I think we've had to, I mean, we've had to navigate this ourselves. And, you know, I remember Jeremiah, who's 10, he did say to me, he said, how come when you're talking to someone else at church, you know, I wait and then I wait till you finish talking. And then I say, you know, excuse me, mom. Um, and then I talk to you. But when I'm talking to you, no one waits. They just come up and they just butt in and it's like, I'm not even there. Wow. So yeah, we've had to have those conversations with him and just explain like, this is when they, when they really want to talk like that, it's because they've got something going on and they're just, they, they need someone to talk to and they, they've been waiting to talk. You know, this is the only time they see us. So we actually said to him, you know, you have access to us all the time. So if you want to chat, let's always like every night, let's chat. What do you want to talk to me about? Yeah. <laughs> um, even on a Sunday, Hey, Jerry, on the way there, Jerry did it. Like, we'll ask him questions. So he feels very much heard mm. and he can, so then in for that window while we're at church, you know, he can, he can wait mm. for whatever he wants to say till we get home. Um, so we just had to kind of navigate that, but we very much, we very much involve Hosanna and Jeremiah in everything we do. They come with us to set up. They came with us to pack down. Um, they, you know, Hosanna, when, if I'm speaking somewhere, I always bring her with me. She's always part of it. So she's in the green rooms with me. She's like at lunch with me. Um, yeah, so that they, we want them to feel like this is their church too. It is. Do you feel like you're under the microscope as a mum, you know, being a pastor? Like, do you think that the way your kids behave reflects on your ministry or are our congregation sort of mature enough to realize that our pastors are just mums and dads kind of winging it too? I feel like in Australia, the congregation, like maybe it was just the one I was part of, were a bit more, um, I don't know what the right word is. Exactly what you said. Like They're relatable? Like, you know, everyone's, just, everyone's just having a go. Like we're not right. superhuman. But uh, I think here in America, there is very much a different perception when it comes to like a pastor. It's like, oh, you know, they do um, kind of put you up on a pedestal, which I really don't like because I'm like, I'm just a normal human and I just want to help people. Mm. And I just want to tell people about Jesus because he changed my life and he can change yours too. <laughs> like it's very simple. <laughs> um, so I think in America, um, there is a bit more of that that goes on. But I think for us, look, we just have to, we just have to keep it real. And it is what it is. <laughs> what you see is what you get. <laughs> yeah. I and I don't really entertain any of that other nonsense. Do your kids? Because I was talking to my friend about this and she was a pastor's kid and she said that when she was going through Sunday school or youth group and there was an awkward silence in the Bible study, then they'd be like, oh, ask Beth, she'll know. And she felt like the weight of oh, her wow. parents' ministry. Do you think your kids pick up on that or have you done anything to kind of shield them? They haven't yet. But in saying that, we're very early on in this journey. Mm. Um we're very early on. Like we've only just started having Sunday services. So that's something that we will probably have to navigate as we go along. Gosh, I mean, if I, when I was a kid, if they, if they turned to me and said, oh, Emma will know, I would have burst out laughing and be like, yeah, right. I haven't read this book. <laughs> so, okay, then, yeah, you know, you were a pastor's kid yourself. 
how does your experience impact the way that you're raising your kids in the church? Like, is there anything that you're intentionally doing differently? Like that was so annoying when my mom or dad did this or what? I used to hate it when there were all these hush, hush, quiet conversations. Oh, you know, Emma, Emma can't hear this. Oh, Emma, you know, because kids are so much smarter than we think they are. So I'll hear, you know, the name of the person or whatever. And I'd be like, I'd see them next time. And I'd, I'd be thinking, what did you do to my dad? (laughs) Like, So yeah, we intentionally don't have little hush, hush conversations in front of the kids. If we have to talk about something, that we don't want them to hear. We don't have the conversation with them in the room. And we also are quite open, not about anyone's stuff, but just about the struggles with finding a venue or we're trying to figure out how to, how do we get this equipment or like what, you know, we, we have those kind of conversations in front of them. They're very much part of it, all of it. Um, Cause I want them to see all of it. And we also have put a few things in place. So we have um, Friday night is family fun night. We don't have any meetings Friday nights. We're not allowed to book any dinners Friday nights. No one comes over Friday nights. And we just do something together as a family that's fun. Love that. And yeah, so and Saturday's family day. Um, so I take the babies to swimming. Um, the older two always, always come with me. And our little thing is we get Starbucks. And we've had to work hard to protect that because everyone does want a piece of your time. Yeah. Um, yeah. People really do not understand that you have four, four kids and no family around. Um, but it, it's, it's pretty full on. It's pretty full on. Your kid's salvation, does that weigh heavily on you? Like what if one of them hits teenage years like you did and decides that they don't want to go to church anymore? Mm. I have thought about that. Um, I look, I just pray for them and I feel like that's all you can do. Sorry, I shouldn't say that's all you can do. Edit that out. That's crap. You can do more. (laughs) Okay. Definitely pray. Prayer changes things. I honestly believe my dad prayed me back into church. (laughs) I remember saying to my dad, weren't you worried when I like wouldn't come home for like days and weeks and you don't know where I am I didn't have a mobile phone back then you know and he said to me because I just thought he just didn't care and he said to me do you have any idea how many nights I stayed up praying for you and your safety and when I look back at my life there are so many times that I should have died I'm not saying that as a throwaway line like there were so many times I should have died and I God somehow kept me and honestly I believe Gosh, the more we pray, the more coincidences happen. Uh, something <laughs> in that. Pray, they don't happen. <laughs> I believe, I, I truly believe my dad, my dad kept me with all his prayers. Um, but at the same time, I, I am very big on communication with the kids. How are you feeling? Like, let's, let's talk things through. Like, I, I never want them to feel like they can't talk to me about something or that if they do, they're going to be it's like there's no, nothing's off limits in our conversation. Yeah. Um, I ask them a lot of questions, a lot of open-ended questions. You know, I probably embarrass them a lot because I just ask them everything. <laughs> I think partly because of my own journey, um, I'm also, you know, a little more aware of what goes on in kids' minds and yeah. schools and on the internet and, you know, so um, I think keeping the communication very open and just continually being in dialogue with them, how they're feeling about things and, yeah but look I mean to answer your question 
if one of them walked away, gosh, I just have to, I just have to keep loving them and keep praying. Yeah. I mean, how many, I feel like when God looks at us, you know, he doesn't see Christians and non-Christians. He just sees all his kids and some of them are, some of them have walked away and some of them are walking to him. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. And you know, it's such a comfort to think how much we love our kids and yet God loves them so much more and he cares for them so much more. And yeah, I'm relying on that. <laughs> Cause yeah, what we say or what we do is, is a good foundation for them, but it's God who changes hearts and yeah. yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, we all have free will and we can sow as much good seed as we can, pray, give them time, nurture, love, but, you know, we all have free will at the end of the day. Mm. So got to keep loving them. Um, is there anything that you'd want people to understand? You know, people who are listening who have pastors or ministers with kids, what can we be doing, you know, to support families in full-time ministry or support their kids? I think I've got to be careful how I say this. I was, <laughs> I was part of a church and as you know, I worked full-time, had, had two kids and it was a great church, but there was so much pressure on me to be at every meeting, everything. And we could not afford babysitting um so the kids would be out late and tired and it only came after our third baby and I had just come home from the hospital and I got a text saying and I was not on staff I never worked for the church just always volunteer but I got a text and you know your milk's just come in you're trying to breastfeed you're getting you know you're still bleeding like, you know, all, all the mamas know. Oh, like, it's got a pad that's, you know, six pads put together. Yeah. I think I think our baby was three, was I think Izzy was three weeks old and I got a, you know, a firm text saying you need to be at this leadership meeting tonight. And, and that was not unusual. That was just, that was the culture of the church that I was in. And I was very aware how unhealthy it was, but I was always so fearful to actually stand up for myself. Yeah. But I remember um, did, what, going. As in, like, did it just feel like you would be reprimanded or you just felt like you were letting people down and that pressure? Oh, I would be heavily reprimanded. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's so unhelpful. Um, so I went and I remember I was, I was just like sitting there and I felt I felt like this whole meeting, which was the leadership meeting, was, was just them – whinging about stuff could have been in an email people could have been an email and I remember the pastor so in the context of church that we're in um there's a male and a female they're married they're both called pastors so the female pastor um she didn't come and I'm like and and I'm like where is she where is she I'm here and I'm here with my baby (laughs) (laughs) and and um he said oh she was tired and I'm like and honestly, that's the first time I ever said anything. I was like, she's tired. Listen, I'm here with my screaming three-week-old baby. My nipples are red raw. And I was just like, blah. I just, from that experience, just the, just the unrealistic expectations on new mums and the bullying, the control, it was horrible. Um, I think because... And me and me and T actually both chose to leave that particular 
church for those reasons um, after being very involved for many years. Mm. But um, because we have experienced that, we are um, a lot more sensitive to the need for family, especially when there's new babies. And we something that we always say in our in our personal leadership meetings with our team is that it's people over processes we have these processes because you need to have a process and a plan <laughs> but at the end of the day people come first mm. um and there have actually been multiple scenarios where people have said very apologetically they can't do something or they can't you know make it here and 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 i'm like that's totally fine and they're like oh oh it's like they're so fearful and it's like no yeah I get it like and I'm sorry that you've experienced a uh, you know a culture where you are scared to tell me that you need to be with your baby but that comes first and will always comes first and trust me God wants you to put that first so because we have experienced I mean I would call it spiritual abuse in that area of just being controlled and manipulated and you know, family, your family is last. We very much guard that carefully now and also make sure we protect the people's families that are very involved in the church and make sure they know that their family comes first, 100% and always will. Yeah. No, but it's so good that you've been able to take that experience and not let that happen in your church. Yeah. I think think there's always two responses. Either you repeat it because that's all you know, or you're very intentional to never let that happen. That's right. That's so really good. The other thing is, I think when you are a mum, and not just mums in ministry, like you work hard, Ali. Yeah. My goodness, you're recording a podcast right now in your house. <laughs> I have help. Um, <laughs> I think um, we just need to understand that it's okay to say no. And we only have so much emotional energy and other people aren't going to take responsibility for how much emotional energy they take of yours. Mm. So we have to be responsible for our own emotional energy. Um, and it's okay to say no to people. Like, I just can't do that right now in this season. Um, and that's something that I have been really good at in some seasons. And then I've just let it slip and I've had to kind of in- be intentional about it again because I'll get too overwhelmed. Um, but it's okay to say no. I heard uh, just recently about how to manage it all. You know, this lady was asked, how do you do it? You're writing books, you've got kids, you know, how do you juggle it all? And she was like, look, there's no perfect work-life balance. We are all juggling things. The important thing is to realize which are plastic balls and which are glass balls and not let the glass balls smash and today you know your kiddos they might be the glass ball and you need to give all your attention to them and tomorrow your work might have a deadline and that's your glass ball and you got to know that you'll be able to pick up your kiddos who are the plastic balls the next day and give them the time and attention they need and yeah I think um, praying to know and praying for that sustained energy to handle it all um, is so important yeah Emma Mullings. Planning a church is massive and doing it in a new country is something entirely else. With four little kids and no, you know, family around you, I can only think this part of your story is just God showing off, demonstrating (laughs) his provision and his ability in the church community to look after one another. And I'm so 
thankful to hear how well the plant's going, you know, even with the pandemic happening in the background. I'm so encouraged to hear how your family has settled in. And, you know, you are so amazing. I've always been so encouraged by your passion, your your honesty and your vulnerability and just your love of people. And I'm so thankful for you sharing part of your story today. I know that we skipped over uh, a lot of your testimony, but hearing how God has worked in your heart to yeah, renew it and restore it and redeem when you've endured so much pain and just how you've found that peace. That's yeah, so encouraging for me to hear and for others listening. Thank you so much for sharing today. If people want to know more about your church plant, about your music, where can they go? They can go to emmamullings.com. If you're on Instagram, you can check out at emmamullings or historymakers.church is the website and the Instagram. And you can check out all the church stuff there. And you are actually awesome on Instagram. I go on Instagram maybe like once every three months <laughs> and I don't follow very many people. I have a very random name that people won't even be able to find me. Um, oh, we're going to look for you now. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you are one of the hoots that I like to follow and catch up on. <laughs> Your stories are great. I apologize in advance. <laughs> no, I love how much you share. <laughs> Well, um, thanks again so much for joining and um, sharing a bit of your story on Mums Group. And thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. I, uh, I was looking at some of the back end of the hosting platform that this podcast sits on and you can see stats. And it was so cool to see that we have three friends in Poland who've been listening. So hello to you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to Lauren Lizzie underscore 92, I don't know you, which was so cool to read your review on iTunes because I thought it was just like my mom and my sister who was reviewing. But thank you so much for your encouragement. Uh, if you want to connect further, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Mums Group Pod. That's short for podcast. And if you have any suggestions of conversations that you'd like to hear, please email mumsgrouppod at gmail.com. Until next time, bye.